posted on dimlywit.com. I'm Dr. Daryl Appleton, and this is Feelings and Other F-Words. The F-Word of the day is a big one, my friends, and that is fear. And specifically, we are talking about success porn, and we are going to pull back the curtain on all of our fears around success. Now, I have to start this episode off with a fight that I got into, as one does. This was not a normal fight, friends. No, this went down on the mean streets of LinkedIn. I know. Hold your shock and awe. And you might be asking yourself a wonderful follow-up question. How does that happen? And I will tell you. I posted an article about an unfortunate story, actually. A 33-year-old woman committed suicide. And this article was just highlighting how certain work cultures and this obsession with success is making us more depressed and it's causing lots of anxiety. And, you know, sometimes these there's there's these unfortunate kind of casualties that come with it. And I'm very much paraphrasing this article in a lot of ways. But it was interesting to me because it named firms like Deloitte and things like that and, and firms that, you know, I've worked with in the past on some capacity whether they're individuals or or a company. And for me, the comment back in the comment section or the the comment I made with the article was, and I said this in my comments, it was like the first sentence. I'm not saying people shouldn't work hard. That's not what I mean. I'm saying that we need to equip people with tools if we are asking them to be high performers in high burnout positions. If my house is ablaze, I want my fire people to be equipped with fire retardant suits. I want my fire people to be equipped with an oxygen mask or two or three and hoses, right? So they can do their job and protect themselves so they can do the next job. This is what I mean by workplace wellness. It's not about making the road easier for people to accomplish things. It's about identifying that there's a hard road ahead. And to be fair, like, why is it so hard? Like, we also need to look at that. But specifically, how do we give resources and support to people in high burnout positions so they can show up and do what they need to do and be high performers? Like, the job's not going to change. If you're doing Google's IPO, like, you might have a 100-hour week. But how do we give you support to do that? You know, you might be a surgeon that's on call and you have to do three days of call and then you're on a 24 and you've had five different surgeries. Like, I'm not saying like, let's make the surgery easier for you. Like I'm saying, how do we equip you with skills so you can perform and then have a soft place to land? Yada, yada, yada. Right. All really brilliant stuff (laughs) in my, my mind. And this guy, and I don't know him and I'm sure he's a very nice human being, but this guy showed up in my comments and basically said, I know plenty of people that are high performers that don't get burnt out or that they've risen to this occasion. And it's not about, we need to work hard. It's not about that. Uh, I know plenty of people who do this. And 
it was interesting because he basically said, if you can't take the heat, stay out of the kitchen. And to be fair, I disagree. I disagree. I don't think we know what we're made of until we step into the kitchen to see if we can handle the heat or not. And guess what? I spawn a fire retardant suit if I'm going to go do that. My fire people don't get an extra medal of honor because they didn't put on their jacket and they rushed in like, no, no, you're probably dumb if that's happening. Right. Okay. Anyway, so I responded back in the only way I know how to professionally because I'm a goddamn professional. And I said basically back to him, I don't think you read my comment. You might want to reread it because I am talking specifically about supporting people in high burnout positions. I don't disagree with you. I believe in hard work. I agree. Yes, working hard is part of this process. But working smart should trump that. And then I ended it the only way I know how, because this is how I end all my fights professionally and personally. And that was with, if you'd like, I could send you the research so you can better inform yourself with the research and statistics out there. And then I ended it with hashtag the more you know, which is probably the most aggressive use of that hashtag that I have ever done in my entire life. And I stand behind it. And to be fair, if you ever get in a fight with me professionally or personally, I will send you a ton of research studies. I will just flood your inbox with so much knowledge that you will just give up fighting with me. That's my tactic. <laughs> so don't don't start. Um, but I, I listen, he's allowed to have his opinion. He's allowed to respond. I'm glad he was engaged. But I was processing this with Jimmy because I'm an external processor, my husband, Jimmy. And I'm like, why would he take time out of his day to get into this? Like, I, what happened here? Like, what, what is this? And then I was like, wow, I hit a nerve. I hit a nerve somewhere that this person would want to take the time and energy to tell me that there are people out there who work hard and this is a matter of choice. Like, it, it's not even like a, it's like a nonsensical comment in my, in my opinion, in my opinion. And he's allowed to have his again. And I started to really look at my timeline, my LinkedIn timeline, because I don't really pay that much attention to it. I, it's my least favorite social media um, for a million reasons, but I started to pay more attention to it. And I was like, oh, wow. Wow. LinkedIn is just a porn hub for success. Mm. We are voyeuristic creatures, right? This is why social media has done so well. Plus there's tons of research that shows us we actually get dopamine hits from like likes and things like that. So you coupled being voyeuristic with dopamine hits and likes, and it's a recipe for disaster. But it it struck me because I I kept saying to myself, wow, like the vision of success is off here. The expectation versus the reality is something that I think has a nice mask on it because LinkedIn's like the serious social media, but it's still social media. Like socially, Instagram and Facebook or TikTok, they're totally different things, right? I'm posting my food on one. I'm getting in fights with my relatives on another and I'm dancing on the third. But LinkedIn is the place where serious professionals go to talk about the thing that matters most and that's their career. But it's still social media and the expectation versus reality is still very much alive and well. We know that there are tons of studies, too many for me to even list, on how filters and photoshopped images and curated timelines impact people because they compare their lives to them. There's a higher level of depression and anxiety 
that we see that can be linked to social media because we think we are not doing as much in our lives. Like that's documented. LinkedIn is no different. Literally, LinkedIn is this perfected elevator pitch that nobody asked for. And we are constantly looking at it thinking, ooh, I don't have that. I don't I don't have that in my background. Or I went to school with this guy and we graduated at the same time and he has all these awards and accolades and he's in this position and I'm not. Or, wow, this working mom is able to do this, this, and this. It, you know, it just breeds. It's a breeding ground. It's an incubator for imposter syndrome. Now, do not get me wrong. I swear to God, I will fight somebody. Do not get me wrong. I am not saying that LinkedIn doesn't have its good qualities, just like I'm not saying Instagram doesn't or TikTok or whatever, because there are, there are, right? I believe in self-promotion. I believe in connection. I believe in networking. I believe that you should show your success, right? What I am saying is that things like LinkedIn and Instagram shift perception versus reality if we are not careful. Now, we know, or I know, maybe you don't, we know that when we're talking about porn porn, that study show, I was reading The Guardian specifically, and there was a study that was showing that the increase of porn actually yielded a lower <laughs> lower uh, bedroom performance, I guess that's the only way to put it. So basically, this increase of porn is creating this fantasy that actually doesn't exist. So you could have the most attractive person in the world in the bedroom with you, and it's still not like porn because porn is fake on a lot of levels, right? Not saying the porn industry doesn't deserve recognition and blah, blah, blah. But what I'm saying is they're showing you the edits that made it to the final cut. LinkedIn is no different, and we are voyeuristic creatures. So the link here is that when we achieve things, we're starting to see that people who achieve all these things are not feeling any better about themselves because it's never like it is on Instagram. It's never it's, I'm, I'm trying not to make too many sexual connections because it can go really left, but it's not like the money shot. Right. You know, like it's never it's never as good. And we keep chasing the high. We keep chasing it something that doesn't exist. And I see it with my clients all the time. They go after goals. They goal set and they reach a goal and then they're on this treadmill and it's about getting the next goal and the next goal and the next goal. And at the end of the day, they're like, I still don't feel any different. Right, right. Stop chasing goals. Lean into your process. Like ask yourself, what makes me happy? All these really corny things that actually ground us. They ground us in reality and process and purpose. Now, I'm going to, we're going to have a break in a bit and I'm going to kind of share a story that was sent to me and we're going to dissect it a bit and we're going to talk about like, what can we do? Like, what's, how do we combat this? But I want to share this really interesting study that was done in the 80s. And I think it's, I think it's telling, right? It's telling about this issue we have around success this this need for success physician 1980 robert goldman he famously found that more than half 50 percent plus of aspiring athletes 
would be willing to take a drug that would kill them in five years in exchange for winning every competition that they entered today. I will be willing to exchange my life for success. That's wild. That's wild. And again, listen, I have worked with some intense motherfuckers and they would say the same thing. Like, I want to do good things. I want to, you know, make make the most of this life. But that's an intense thing, right? You get everything you want and then the bill comes due, as it always does. Later, they did kind of follow-up research on this and they found that 14% of elite performers would accept a fatal cardiovascular condition in exchange for an Olympic gold medal. That's a shockingly high number still. It might not be for you, but for me, that's a shockingly high number. And there's a psychologist, her name is Barbara Killinger. And she actually, she has a book. Um, and in this, she talks about how research shows us that people willingly sacrifice their own well-being through overwork just to keep getting dopamine hits of success. We are addicts. That is, that's addiction. I know drinking is bad for me, but I continue to do it because without it, I go through withdrawals. And the final studies that I was looking at, because I went, I literally followed this little like trail down. There are documented cases of depression and anxiety that are common amongst elite athletes after their careers end. And Olympic athletes in particular suffer from something that has a name. It's called post-Olympic blues. And I see this withdrawal all the time in some of the executives I work with that are exiting their role as CEO or owner or founder, or even, you know, in the managerial positions, my surgeons, prominent people taking a step back from this limelight, from their, their wheelhouse, sometimes of their own volition, sometimes not, suffer. And a lot of these people talk nothing but, the, but about the good old days. And many of them suffer from depression and anxiety because they were not able to distinguish what they do from who they are. And I think that's a really dangerous thing. People who have to depend on success to be happy are putting themselves in a very dangerous position. Research also shows us that happy people are more likely to be successful. Success does not yield happiness. Happiness is a choice. It very much is. So I, I do agree with my friend in the comments that way. It is a choice on choosing to be happy. His was about choosing not to be stressed, which I feel multiple ways about. But for some people, a successful career literally is the end of the line. And there's nothing else. And maybe you've sacrificed your family or your friends or your health and wellness for it. Maybe it's worth it. Maybe it's not. I'm not sure. But after the break, that is coming up. I want to read you something that came to me in my DMs. Um, and I think it was really interesting. I think it was really insightful. And I chose this one out of the many that I got around success and about struggles. And a lot of you wrote in about your significant others uh, and how it's ruining your marriage. And I think that's very fair and valid. But uh, I want to talk specifically about this person's insight because I think it's really interesting. And then we'll give some tips and tricks on if you're looking to do something about this, what do you do? And if not, how do you go on your merry way and not get sucked in? More after the break, so stick around. 
Okay, we are back. I have shoved a bunch of research at you. I have let you in to my fights that I've been having on LinkedIn. I am now going to read something that came into my inbox. And again, I think it's really insightful. And I'm interested to hear what you guys think about it. So definitely drop me a line. Okay, ready? Here we go. Dear Dr. Daryl, I think I'm addicted to success. I once found myself confessing to a close friend, I would prefer to be seen as successful than happy. And he kind of looked at me to go on. And I told him anyone can be happy, but not everyone can be seen as special for accomplishing great things. Pause. To me, this is literally why middle-aged men who are terrible at sports love sports so much. Because... This guy's right in the sense that not everybody can do great things or special things in a certain arena. And we're so drawn to people who can do it because we we can't. There's only so much one can do, especially in in the, the realm of sports. But I digress. Back on. My friend did not agree. So I began asking others in my circle. Pause. This is confirmation bias. Unpause. And found out that I was not the outlier. Many of us would take feeling special over the choices it took to be happy and spoke about how we would put time off with friends and family to pursue self-imposed deadlines or create barriers of things we quote had to be doing when deep down we knew it could wait. This is my emails in the morning, right? I know it can wait, but there's this part of me and maybe it's my anxiety of I want to make sure I'm ready for work, not how do I make sure I'm the best person for Jimmy and my kids? And that's a much harder ask sometimes, right? Unpause. I feel like it's too late for me and I will always be chasing the relaxation or happiness with loved ones after this project or after that promotion or when I feel like it's finally time to rest. Is it too late for me? Signed, stressed in Santa Barbara. Well, my friend, and I love you signed it Dear Abby style. So like, I love you. I think that there's something to be said about your insight. And many of us don't have that insight to say Pretty boldly, I would rather be seen as special than happy. I want other people to see the specialness in me and to celebrate that in me. I don't think it's wrong in the sense of research, right? At the end of the day, what I've learned in psychology, when I've learned working with human beings at their literal worst, is we all want to be seen and heard. We all want to feel like we are special to somebody, that we matter. And that is like a really deep human emotion. Like that goes, that goes deep. That goes deep. So my question is, where are you not getting that special feeling in other areas of your life? And why is work your only outlet? And I'm not saying it's wrong to want to try to pursue that. But at some point to put off being happy, to put off being being involved in your personal life, you know, you kind of said, you know, the next promotion, I'll get what I want or the next, you know, raise. You're just pushing it off further and further. And I hate mindfulness. I'm going to say that. I know I'm going to get like attacked by therapists and sweaters. I really do. I hate it because I think it's overused and I think it's misused. I think when we are being truly mindful, it's when we are fully present in the dumb stuff. So like, I actually don't hate mindfulness. Um, I'm just never going to like meditate and be fully free of any thought. It's just not going to happen. But I think that we need to reframe what it means to be fully present. Fully present doesn't mean the entire day I am fully fixated on my children. It means I'm able to identify a moment 
that requires my full attention and I give that to them. And it's a quality versus quantity type of thing. So I will talk about this more. I am sure if you've attended the lectures with me, if you've seen one of my Instagram posts, I do not believe in work-life balance. It is a lie. It is a farce. It is ridiculous. There is no such thing. We need to stop. But I do believe in work-life sway or what I call sway, meaning sometimes life needs you. Sometimes those moments with your kids, that dance recital, that playing, you know, tea or dinosaurs or whatever with your kids, or maybe it's your significant other, I don't know what you're into, means more than that dumb email that can wait. But to be fair, and success addicts, you're going to cheer me on here. Sometimes work needs you. And sometimes you need to be fully present in your job and you need to do what you're getting paid to do. Or if you want to advance, you need to show up. I also believe in that too. But it can't be all the time in either way. And I think that's what we're trying to get with quote unquote balance. But in reality, it's just knowing when you need to shift and that transition, like switching gears, understanding how to do that so your engine doesn't blow. So the first step is admitting you have a problem. Like any addict, we need to admit that we have a problem. I get it. Sometimes I have to reel myself back. Like sometimes too much ambition. Who was it? Icarus flying too close to the sun. My Greek mythology is right. We need to really take a look at what's the point? What are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? And is it going to make us happier? And some people are like, Daryl, I need to work because I need money for my family to live. Cool. Like we're talking about a means to an end. We're talking about something very different. I'm talking to you guys out there who are trying to be everything, trying to get it all. I want you to know what the cost is. What are you willing to give up in return? I think Grant Cardone had a has a book called like, I forget, Obsessed, Obsessed with Success. And his whole thing is like, be obsessed with success. And sure. Um, but again, like, to what point? I would say be obsessed with success in the sway and the time frames when you are focused on your career. But again, then sway out of it and give yourself time to rest. Even athletes need time off. They need they need a rest. Even in between reps, when I work with athletes, you know, we talk about this idea of emotional and mental and physical fatigue all being linked. You're doing a workout. You have three reps. You do a rest in between reps. You have leg day and arm day, and then you take a rest day because your muscles will literally atrophy. Success is no different in that way. So I think like these messages, this success porn of people grinding all the time and working hard nonstop and getting all these things is very much triggering because we're voyeuristic, because it's triggering this this like and this reward system and these dopamine hits that we get from social media or we see other people getting from it. And it makes us feel like we're achieving something. The question that I am asking, again, do what you want. The question that I want you to ask yourself is, what are you actually trying to achieve? What does that actually look like? Becoming a mom, I've had a lot of conversations, especially with women, about returning back to work or not. And there's this weird subculture that goes into stay-at-home moms versus working moms. And it, it's weird. It's like weird tension sometimes. It's getting way better. But it, it, from what I hear in the past, it was really weird. And I think like there's something to it because I think women specifically and parents in general, but I'm going to say women specifically, they definitely have to ask themselves like, what's the point? What's the point? 
staying home, going back to work. And I don't care where you go with it. Obviously, I chose to go back to work because I love what I do. And it's an escape for me. And it's a way for me to dopamine hits, right? Engage with other people and help them out and all these other things and probably to be seen and be special. But it makes me a better mom on the back end. Like the goal here is yes, to have money to provide for my family, to make me the healthiest person possible, to maybe leave some sort of lasting mark on the world. But also like it lets me be somebody else than just mom. Now I have friends that are stay-at-home moms, which arguably I think is the hardest job in the world. And the success porn around being a stay-at-home mom and everything you should be doing and your house is perfect and your kids are perfect and the clothes are perfect and you bake cookies in the shape of Elmo and the fur looks realistic and Cookie Monster is hyper-realistic as a cookie. Like there's also that too. Like we can't escape it. This is just in the corporate world. It's everywhere. It is everywhere. And I think Pinterest and Instagram and yes, LinkedIn have very much facilitated this expectation of success in any dimension versus the reality of it. And I want you all to change and challenge your realities of what it is you're trying to do. Now, you can always find me in the comments section of my LinkedIn if you have something to say to me, but you can also DM me. You can also email me. I love having conversations about this. And I I promise we are allowed to agree to disagree on stuff like this. But for me, the science the practice in which I see this, I think that there's a better way to obtain the success we are looking for and not sell ourselves short in the process. So you can DM me at Dr. Daryl Appleton. You can email me at other F words podcasts at gmail.com. You can send me a smoke signal or a carrier pigeon. I'm sure I get it. I have dragonflies that fly around my office and my house all the time. I'm sure on their strong wings, they could deliver me a message or two. But I am very much looking forward to your thoughts and feelings around this topic of success porn. Till next time. Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hosted on dimlywit.com.